This is the RPO, College Football with a West Coast Bias. I am Jay Catch, your host here. Thanks again for joining us on this podcast. We are talking college football, and that's what we, I enjoy doing, made it plain and simple. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah, my day job, and this is just part of a side gig. I enjoy talking college football, so I figured I'd start up my own college football podcast. And we are talking UMass football on today's edition of the podcast. Josh Walfish from the Daily Hampshire Gazette out there in Massachusetts is going to join me to talk about Walt Bell and the UMass Minutemen as they try to get things rebuilt, plain and simple. They have torn everything down to the studs there in Amherst and are just trying to rebuild it from scratch. We'll talk with Josh Walfish about that process for the Minutemen here in just a minute. Uh, Just a reminder for you guys, follow the show on social media, on Twitter in particular at the RPO Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whichever podcast provider you're listening to us on as well. We're available on every major podcast platform out there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, just to name some of the hot spots that most people listen to podcasts on and make sure to leave us a favorable rating and review help us build this audience as we talk college football with the west coast bias all right without further ado let's get to it let's talk umass minutemen football with josh walfish from the daily hampshire gazette josh thanks for joining us here on the rpo how are you sir my pleasure, Jake. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Uh, let's start off here. We're talking UMass football, and last season, in a word, it was a rough year for the Minutemen. Yeah. How did yeah. you assess yeah, how it uh, went? Uh, I, I think the uh, the long pregnant pause that, that, that I heard on my end is uh, an apt summary of, of last season's 111 uh, campaign. Uh, new coach Walt Bell never shied away from the fact that last season was going to be ugly and I think he got the unfortunate um, really unfortunate start because they came out flying against Rutgers to open the season they're up 21-7 after the first quarter and then you started to see Rutgers kind of understand what UMass was trying to do and basically just took it away and that's sort of what, what we saw uh, for, the, for the next 11 weeks was UMass unable to do anything it wanted to do in on offense or on defense. They, they got a little bit lucky uh, by having Akron on the schedule, which is probably one of the few teams that was worse than them last year. Um, but other than that, it was, it was a very trying season, to say the least, in Amherst. Walt Bell, obviously, uh, in his going into his second season now as the head coach there in Amherst, how has he kind of taken to the job? What's his uh, kind of his mo been so far as the head coach? Well, the thing about Walt Bell that I think has stood out to me is how organized, how calm, how really stick to the script he has been with this program. He has not shied away from the fact that last year was going to be rough. He has not shied away from the fact that this year is probably going to be a little bit rougher as well for UMass because he's really building the program back up from scratch. And I know a lot of people want to talk about the fact that UMass made the decision to go to FBS football in 2012, and you're like, it's been eight, eight seasons already. Why haven't they had success? And the reason being... You know, it's a multitude of, uh, of reasons, but for, they never got the right coach in there to build 
this program up to be an actual competent uh, FBS program. And I feel like they've cut, they've done that with Walt Bell, and that was very important for Athletics Director Ryan Bamford when going through the process last year, um, or I guess December of 2018, before hiring Walt Bell, was finding a coach that was going to put a plan and a process in place to rebuild the Minutemen into a successful independent football program. And Walt Bell has a vision, and time will tell over the next two or three years whether or not that was an accurate vision for how UMass is going to have success. But I don't think there's any mistake in that Walt Bell is selling his vision very well. UMass just signed its best recruiting class in history. Um, They were ranked ahead of USC for most of December and January before the Trojans closed strong, and I think the Trojans barely nudged out the Minutemen uh, in in the final recruiting rankings, but anytime you're talking about putting your your recruiting rankings in, in the same line as a story program like USC. Something obviously is going right for Walt Bell in that avenue. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, so in terms of this rebuild going on, is Walt going about it, Coach, speaking of Coach Bell, is he going about it with high school guys? Is he trying to get JUCO talent in, the transfer portal? How's he going about this? It's, it's, it's sort of a, a mixture of both, but a lot of it is is high school guys and you know, Jugo guys are going to have three or, in, in one case, four uh, years of, of eligibility left. And, and it's funny because someone asked him at the February signing event about looking in the transfer portal for a quick fix at running back or a quick fix at quarterback. And he said, listen, there's, there's no reason for us to go after quick fixes because it's going to work for a year and then we're going to be in the same position again next year. So let's build it up the right way. Let's build it up with three, four-year guys that are going to be here for the long run and kind of be a part of the process and continue learning and growing. And hopefully, you know, in 2022, I think is really his his target year, he's going to have a group that is all of his own recruits, and they're going to be understanding the the, the system be able to execute it at an extremely high level. How is the administration in Amherst kind of responding to Coach Bell's plan? I know you mentioned the athletic director. This is one of his big hires. How has the administration backed this program? The administration in Amherst has backed this program 150,000%. There was a lot of kerfuffling going on uh, in November when the Boston Globe had their prominent uh, columnist basically write a column that UMass should shut down football because they're just getting these paydays to get obliterated by Power 5 programs and they're not competitive and whatnot. And one of the things that really irked a lot of people around Amherst was the columnist was talking to the entire uh, UMass uh, president, so the one who's running Samaritan, and UMass Local and Dartmouth and, and all the, the satellite campuses, that's the person who was, who was sort of speaking to him and it sounded like UMass as a, as a university system maybe wasn't 
wasn't backing it, which is which is not the case. Um, but you know, everyone from the Chancellor and Amherst, the athletics director Ryan Bamford, uh, to, to to Walt Bell and, and all the assistant coaches have really bought into this plan. And now it's just a waiting game to see if, as to whether or not this plan can actually work in uh, at, at UMass. Okay, UMass obviously is an independent program. I cover an independent program out here in the state of Utah in Brigham Young University. How have people responded to the Minutemen being an FBS independent? There's very few of them around the country, but it, it, they, they stand out in that regard that they are independent. Oh, the fans hate it. Tremendously. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, is, it, is, it is remarkable to me how much the fans hate being an independent. And I got a lot of flack because when UConn uh, decided it was going to leave the American to go to the Big East in, in every sport, obviously except football and being independent, and I basically wrote a comment that the American is not the right fit for UMass, and it's, it's something that they shouldn't pursue, and everyone has gotten just, just got so angry at me for saying, how dare you say UMass doesn't need a conference, and I honestly, I don't believe that UMass does need a conference in the sense of you have to have the right fit. And right now, with the way the college football landscape is, there are no, there is no good fit for UMass at the FBS level. Um, and I think that the fans are not understanding that, and I, I think they're they're very eager to try to. Uh, get into a conference and get all the, the money that, that comes from a conference and get into that TV deal. But I think they, they sometimes forget to realize that is going to the American and playing East Carolina really going to draw fan interest at all? Is playing Tulsa going to draw fan interest? Um, and it really isn't. And, and, and they, they can... What, what they feel like is, is best for the program, and, and I appreciate that. But UMass, and I, I think BYU to some extent as well, just in a unique position of not having a great conference that works for them at the FBS level, and they're, they're trying to make it as independent, and they've done a really good job at scheduling as an independent and not sort of selling themselves out to be battery rams to the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC. Moving on to the field here, we're talking with Josh Wallfish from the Daily Hampshire Gazette. He is the UMass beat reporter for that paper. I wanted to talk about on the field, Belil Alley, he was their leading running back last year, but I saw that he had entered the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, how is the, and to expand that out, how is the offense looking for UMass in particular as they head in, getting ready for spring ball and getting ready for the 2020 season? Uh, it is the human embodiment of a, the shrug emoji right now because I don't know who's going to play running back. I don't know who's going to play quarterback. I don't know who's going to play wide receiver. I can tell you with a, with a decent certainty who's going to be on the offensive line. Uh, they, 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 for better or worse, had to build up depth on the offensive line last year due to numerous numbers of injuries and, and suspensions. They have a lot of guys were turning on the offensive line but they don't have a true running back on the roster right now outside of the, the two uh, 
two recruits that signed Ellis uh, Merriweather out of Garden City Community College and Jared Martino out of out of Ashburn High School in Virginia. And then they have a converted wide receiver in Cam Roberson who played running uh, who played running back all last year was the team's second leading rusher. So one of those three in series is going to be in the backfield, and we have a a four-headed race at the moment to play court, to, to start at quarterback uh, this fall, and there are a plethora of receivers that we don't know what you're really going to get out of them. So the, the offense has been a, a giant mystery, which has been a deep disappointment to a lot of the fans. Obviously, Walt Bell came to UMass as an offensive head, uh, offensive head coach, the offense coordinator, Maryland's offense coordinator at Arkansas State, been the offensive coordinator at Florida State right before getting hired at UMass. So people expected him to have some sort of, of offensive identity, kind of very similar to what UMass had under Mark Whipple uh, the previous years, where you knew the minimum were going to score points under Mark Whipple. And the question was, could the defense get enough stops to win the game? And it's the biggest disappointment last year was UMass could not score points. They were losing games, particularly at the end of the year, 63 to 7, 48 to 10. Like that was that was a huge disappointment for fans expecting some and uh, having expected and gotten accustomed to a team that could really score points. To see the offense struggle so much was disappointing, and then to lose basically your two best playmakers off that offense in tight end Kyle Horn and running back Bilal Ali, it, it leaves a lot of questions. And we still have three weeks to go until UMass opens spring practices. So I don't even really have a, a sense of what the, the, the team is, is going to look like on offense uh, heading into next season. If you had to handicap, you mentioned there's a four-man uh, race at quarterback. Randall West and Andrew Brito were kind of sixes in terms of what they produced last year at quarterback. If you were to handicap it, does any quarterback of those four have a leg up on the competition? Yeah, it's going to be the going to be the, the Duke of kid they brought in, Kyle Lindstrom from. Why am I not blocking on uh, on? On, on which community college in California you went to. But the same one Aaron Rodgers went to. He broke all of Aaron Rodgers' records at that at that community college. So he's, he's I think, the, the favorite just because he is the most talented of the four they're bringing in. But I also would not be surprised to see uh, the incoming freshman, Will Koch, at Niceville, Florida, eventually earn some reps in the game just from a standpoint of with the new redshirt rule, they have four games they can play with for him and not have him lose an eligibility. If you can get, you know, particularly in some of the games later this season where it might be uh, a blowout, I'm thinking of the fact that UMass have to go to Auburn this year. If you can get Will Coke into that game and run a couple of series and get him some experience at the college level, He's, he's your quarterback of the future. That's that's the, the decision Walt Bell has made because Lindstrom's only there for uh, or sorry, Lindquist is only there for two years. So Will Cooks is the, the quarterback of the future, but I, I think in terms of the, the present, Kyle Lindquist is 
is the front runner uh, heading into spring practice. Just to clarify, Butte College is the uh, junior college that uh, Aaron Rodgers came from. So help you out there, there a little bit. Uh, last a couple of questions for me here, Josh. Let's start, talk about the defense. You mentioned late in the season they were giving up oodles and oodles of points. Have they changed anything? Or are they going philosophically? Are they changing anything as they get ready for this upcoming season to hopefully curb some of those big point totals they gave up? Well, the, the, the issue in terms of the point totals they gave up had everything to do with depth. And this is where, you know, people love to harp on, you know, the, the former defense coordinator, Azara Abdul-Rahim, who just uh, became the cornerback coach at, at BC this offseason. And they're like, how good of a defensive coach is he? Because they gave up so many points. And in reality, Walt Bell inherited a defense that had very, very little numbers to begin with. Um, one, one of the big issues with Mark Whipple's tenure at UMass was the fact that he did not recruit defense very well outside of one player. They, have Isaiah, they had Isaiah Rodgers for four years, and he was a standout cornerback. He's someone I expect will we'll hear his name called at some point on day two, or potentially day two, more likely day three of the NFL draft this April. He was the only confident defensive player they really had uh, on that team. And so Waltville had a lot of freshmen that had to play already and then compound that with the fact that they were so beat up towards the end of last season that you had guys out there, particularly on the defensive line, that were just not physically ready to play Division One college football. And they just got manhandled by teams like Army and Northwestern and BYU uh, as well. Just teams that had a strong offensive identity have third and four, three and four-year players on the offensive line, there just was not enough bodies and not enough strength for them to really do much of anything. So heading into this season, there are going to be better numbers. They're going to have a lot of sophomores who took a lot of, a lot of battle scars out of last season. Plus, they've recruited much better along the front seven to give themselves some depth so that they're not running, you know, 18, 19-year-old kids out there for 50, 60 snaps on defense. Josh, going into 2020, what would a successful season for UMass look like in your eyes? I I think that the the biggest understanding of what a successful season would be is you see a team that is markedly better at the end of November than it was at the beginning of September. And that, I think, was the biggest disappointment of Waldell's first year, was you could not say definitively that UMass was a better football team after losing to BYU to end the season than it was when it began the year at Rutgers. And I think that gave a lot of people pause for concern. It gave me a pause for concern of what is what, what is the, the future trajectory of the program going to be? But if the UMass team that goes out there in November looks markedly better than the team that was out there in September, I think that's a great sign that the future is bright in Amherst. If 
we're talking about teams that have either regressed over the course of the season or kind of stayed neutral. I think there are going to be a lot of people who are getting a little bit antsy with, all right, is this, is this plan actually working? Is this experiment actually working? Or do we need to blow it up and, and, and try again? Well, Josh, can't thank you enough for taking the time. Look forward to catching with you up with you down the road, okay? I appreciate it, Jake. Thanks so much. There you go, Josh Walfish from the Daily Hampshire Gazette. Can't thank him enough for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. You can follow him and follow his UMass coverage at Josh Walfish, D-H-G, last name W-A-L-F-I-S. So Walfish, just one less L, D-H-Z. So at Josh Walfish, D-H-G. Let him know that you thank him for coming on the podcast. Uh, Great to hear from him. And it sounds like that Walt Barrel has that... uh, image or that uh, vision of what he wants to UMass to become as an independent program. And as you heard Josh say, it'll just be a matter of time to see if it pays off and if they're able to get things going here. And it will bear watching because UMass is one of the independent programs at the FBS ranks and obviously we're really swimming upstream when it comes to how they go about scheduling. They don't have a conference and you heard him talk about the fans. They're not happy with that, but there's not a perfect fit in terms of a, a conference nearby that they could join in theory. So, going to be an interesting uh, case study, speaking of the Minutemen, to see how they navigate being football independent while inserting their other sports into the Atlantic 10 Conference where their basketball program and other sports participate. Uh, I, I just I find it fascinating. Any of these uh, teams that are independent, including BYU, New Mexico State, who we'll talk about on the next podcast, etc., UConn, how they kind of go about navigating the uh, perilous waters, I guess we should call it, of independence at the FBS rank and in, in the FBS ranks at the FBS level in college football. Uh, all right, a couple of other headlines before we go on today's show. I wanted to talk about is best of luck to Tommy Tuberville, the former, a longtime college football coach, is going to face former U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions in a March 31st runoff for the Alabama State Republican nomination. They will uh, square off in that primary uh, runoff, and the winner will face. Democratic incumbent Doug Jones in the November general elections. Uh, of course, Tuberville spent 21 seasons as a head coach at Ole Miss, Auburn, Texas Tech, uh, finishing up at Cincinnati. Won 159 games during his time as a head coach before entering politics. And we'll say best of luck to Coach Tuberville as he tries to make the transition from college football coach to a U.S. Senator potentially. And we'll see how that goes. We'll make sure to update you guys on that as that runoff gets a little bit closer uh, when those results come in. One other headline today is congratulations to the Nevada head coach Jay Norvell. He received a new five-year contract that will take him through the 2024 season with the Wolfpack. The university announced that on Tuesday. He has an overall record of 18-20 and in three seasons, but is coming off back-to-back winning seasons and consecutive bowl appearances after going 3-9 and nine in his first year at Nevada in 2017. His new uh, pay structure has a base salary of $625,000 per season, plus supplemental bonus is based on athletic and academic success and also uh, his total salary pool for his assistance has been increased by $250,000 beginning this fall and that'll be a big deal because 
In this day and age, those salary pools for assistants have become very critical to both hiring and retaining assistant coaches who help these head coaches build up a program. And a program like Nevada, with the success they've had, they're obviously going to get poached. Uh, there's been guys like Jason Kafusi, now one of the lead recruiters at UCLA, spent some time at Nevada, showed what he can do, and then gets picked up by a Power 5 program. Having that extra $250,000 in the pool is very important for a guy like Jay Norvell to continue to retain some of his assistants and keep up the positive and forward momentum that the Nevada Wolfpack have built up at this point. So best of luck to him and congratulations to Jay Norvell on the new contract. I think he was one of those guys when he was hired by Nevada. Seemed like a lot of people questioned the hire, wondered if he would work out there in Reno. And by all accounts, it's working out just fine. So congratulations to Jay Norvell on that contract extension. All right, that's going to do it for today's edition of the podcast. Like I said, coming up on our next edition, we're talking New Mexico State football as we continue our 130 team preview ahead of the 2020 season right here on the RPO. Thank you guys in advance for your continued support of the show. Those of you who've been with us from the very beginning, I can't thank you guys enough. It's a blast to talk college football with you guys and hopefully you guys continue to find it of worth. So like I said, coming up on the next edition, we're talking New Mexico State football, another independent program. How are they navigating things down there in Las Cruces? Well, tune in next time and you'll find out. This has been the RPO for March 4th 2020. Have a great day.